Jesus. Make it quick. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. This is Jacob Bratz with JLB Morelia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. going on everybody this is episode 15 of the herpeticulture podcast i am justin smith of palmetto coast exotics and i'm jacob brods with jlb morelia and on this episode we are joined by austin warwick from Ragebeard reptiles how you doing there austin i'm doing all right doing all right how about you? how are y'all doing doing well man just fine yeah i was uh i've been pretty busy today moving some uh moving some stuff over to my new place uh been working on moving some animals over Slowly but surely, but you know we're yeah. there. Yeah, you, uh, pretty, uh, pretty long move or yeah. No, it's not very far. Uh, my my current my old living situation was kind of out of the way a little bit. It's about a twenty minute ride from uh, the main town of where we live. Um, but I'm I recently moved into town, so just slowly moving animals over, trying to get all the cages and racks over has been kind of a pain in the ass but you know i can't say i've had to do anything like that yet i'm i'm gonna be here for probably at least the next five years so i'm not looking forward to it though yeah no it's it's a pain i've had to move too many times man it's even just doing it across town sucks yeah just (laughs) just across town you know especially you know when you have you know if you had a couple like three four or five animals it wouldn't be that bad but when you're 20 plus animals deep you know it's it gets a bit a bit uh tedious but yep yeah, i can't even magic imagine the logistics of that honestly i think i may have a anxiety it, attack it involved using my mom's ford flex because nothing was fitting <laughs> in my avalon yeah for real your car is tiny I can, i'm bare, i'm amazed i even fit in it yeah i yeah i'm surprised you can fit in it you're freaking sasquatch i mean if that thing here. flips i'm dead <laughs> <laughs> basically does not work yeah I'm like Donkey Kong and Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah, the way he the way he rides on Mr. that little Incredible. car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But uh, let's get into this. Uh, Austin, uh, tell us about some of the stuff that uh, you're currently working with, and uh, you know, kind of the, your current plans and future plans with uh, um, Rage right Bird now. My, my main focus is uh, definitely Morelia, uh, specifically spring breeder stuff. Um, I big into bread lie uh, doing kind of a long game a uh, couple different brettles projects i got going on um uh, i've bred my fours to my hair slime female bread lie twice and i've got some holdbacks from there that are pretty nice and i'm kind of just doing that long game line breeding got a couple pairings this uh this year uh one of them is a it's undocumented, but it's a probable LASIK line female. And uh, she's like 50-50 split, like black and red. It goes Her black goes almost all the way up to the midway mark of her body, which is kind of neat. You usually don't see it go up that, that far. But then her red is a real nice brick, brick red. So Nice. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, most of the uh, the bread lie that I've seen, the, the black is kind of more so like 25% down yeah. or, or yeah. less yeah. even. 
Uh, so yep. that's actually really cool. I'd, I'd be interested to to see what, what that animal. I'll, I'll, I may throw some pictures up of her. Um, yeah, for sure. But I'm gonna pair her with my uh, a fours line male. I'm I'm kind of trying to outcross the lines of bread line and, and uh, just see what pops out and kind of what tickles my fancy and do some uh, line breeding. You know. Uh, yeah, for I'm sure. I'm kind of going for a high contrast look. Uh, I don't. A lot of people are trying to breed the black out. I just want the black to be clean. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, nice outline, uh, around that cream banding and then, and like the speckles, and uh, just not bleed into the red too much. That's kind of my goal with that project. Well, I'd be lying then, if I, if I didn't see some of the babies you posted and been like, Oh man. <laughs> yeah, like, man. I'm not gonna lie. I saw a baby yeah. you posted a couple months ago and I was like, man, that's uh that's real tempting. Your, your bread lie definitely look really good, man. Yeah, I, I dig them. They're probably, they're in my top probably top three top four favorite species for sure um for sure. uh as far as other than that i've uh i attempted to breed my brisbane coastals um this last season and it was a slug fest real disheartening uh mm. i had my male got injured i'm not entirely sure how uh he actually broke the last probably three inches of his tail i came in here uh it was like mid breeding season while they're courting and his tail was like, I look in there, he's going into shed and his tail is kind of, there's an open wound on it and it's bent. It's like cocked at a 90 degree angle at the very end. Wow. So I ended up having to pull him and I think that's why I didn't have success. Uh, it's always males. During ovulation and I don't know what I, I went through that cage and tried to figure out what the hell happened and, uh, I, I honestly don't know how he did it. Uh, maybe she did it to him. I don't know. Yeah, my, um, my only always, thought on that would, the boys. Be, would be the female just got a little aggravated with him or something. Yeah, uh, and you bit. know how it is. Like, you pair stuff up that you can't be in your snake room 24-7, so sometimes right. stuff just happens. But, uh, um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I had to pull him, and so I think that it was more of a me pulling him uh, and he didn't get the chance to get the job done uh, quite as well as he needed to, so... Uh, that's really my main uh, project this season that I'm really looking forward to. Um, as far as future projects, I've got uh, some Maugline inlands that uh, I got nice. from uh, uh, Nick Mutton. And uh, they're probably about a year and a half to two years out from breeding. And uh, I'm pretty pumped about those. Inlands are really cool. Yeah, those are pretty Back much at the top of my list. Underrated. Yeah, Justin's been uh, talking about getting into some inlands, inlands for some as while As far now. as Morelia goes that are not chondros inlands are, are yeah. pretty much right up there with the rough scales right now yeah for sure yeah, i'm I'm pretty pumped about, about that project uh, the way i do uh my neos is usually i kind of do a slow grow for about the first few years of their life i'm not a i don't feed crazy heavy when they're young right uh, and then they hit about two and i start pumping up the meals uh, pretty substantially now not power feeding but they're seeing food a lot more than they were before yeah, uh, I definitely, I would definitely agree with uh, that aspect of uh, feeding and going that route with it. You know, I've never been um, one, especially while they're young, man. That it's, it's not, it's not, it's hard on their bodies to feed them, to power feed them, like some people really do. Yeah. But, um, um. Other than that, I've got a couple of little, like fun stuff. Uh, I've got some a couple of corn snakes that are technically my daughters, and she kind of helps me out with those and. I breed those. Actually, last season, the first time I bred those, and that was kind of fun, you know. 
Um, and then I've got, I've had this doom, really nice high contrast doom rolls boa for, I think I've had her since 2012. So she's well ready to breed. And I just kind of had her for a pet for a long time. And I was always looking for a male, couldn't find one that was the, the, as good a quality as she was. So I never bought one. And then this last NARBC Arlington, uh, me and my neighbor Doug went in half on a pretty good looking male. So uh, if I can get him up to snuff and uh, fairly quick within the next two years, I may be producing those. And then uh, kind of the same thing with some Woma pythons. I did the same thing and had this Woma for three or four years and just was taking care of her and decided to pull the trigger on a male. He's pretty cool. He's uh, He's got that uh, stripe all the way down in the dorsal. And then the the banding coming off the stripes all the way down. It's it's pretty nice. Nice, man. That's really cool. Woma pythons have always been a species that I've kind of wanted. I've really wanted to get into, but I haven't necessarily pulled the trigger yet. Um, I definitely think they're a super super cool species. Um, how do how do you like keeping them though? Um, I I keep my womas on uh, newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't really require too much yeah uh, they're pretty simple they're really active they're a very active snake like i can see my female she's in a 41 quart uh tub right now on a rack system and she's like cruising and running around. i can see her right now just running around the cage nice. she's been kind of a problem feeder she's uh which you don't hear about womas very often but... yeah i was i was gonna say that's a that's pretty rare rare with uh woma pythons yeah. man that's I I, I, that's one thing i've heard about and... them is they're very very uh food responsive <laughs> Yeah, and the male that I just picked up is is uh, incredibly responsive to food. But she was a uh, technically a rescue. Uh, she mm-hmm. kind of got dumped off in my lap. She's a really nice looking animal, but I think that she was just kept real poorly during the early stages of her life, and it, it may have stunted her a little bit or something. I think they were trying to feed her like geckos and crap. Oh, and, uh, so I had to go through a whole deworming process, and pretty much now the only thing she'll eat is a uh, chickens like juvenile chickens which is fine i've got feed stores next to me and i'll go pick them up and freeze them for a month and feed them to her so it's not that big of a deal but i've never understood why people are so weird about feeding their snakes different prey items i've always been a huge proponent of uh very diet and kind of just giving them what they want you know yeah yeah for sure for sure as long as it uh that's one thing i try to do in uh, my collection is vary the diet a little bit you know i keep a stock of quail on me you know usually at all times just to change it up a little bit um Mm. you know that's one thing i find important is trying to keep um your collection as i guess naturalistic as possible you know as far as you know uh feeding goes because in the yeah. wild, you know, they're not just going to eat a large rat every, you know, two, three, four weeks or whatever it may be. You know, they're going to get whatever they can they can get out there, you know. Yeah. Uh, There's so, white lab mice running all over Papua New Guinea, didn't yeah, you know? Yeah, all, all over the place, man. <laughs> in yeah. perfect health, yeah, no problems, yeah. I feed, I mean, I'll do chicken. Um, I, uh, I feed... Um, quail i do reptilinks all kinds of different brands of blends of those reptilinks um my rats the guinea pigs i i use guinea pigs a lot during this time of year for my breeder females i'll get a, a decent sized guinea pig and uh usually through october into september i'll 
feed two or three of those to my females that I know are, uh, I need to start get beefing them up, uh, as far as nutrients and stuff and get them ready for the, the spring. So nice, nice. Have you, uh, do you have any plans? I noticed you, uh, said you're, you're into more of the spring breeders. Have you ever thought about breeding like a diamond pythons or anything like that? Yeah, it's on my list, you know, uh, that uh, it's on my list, but I will say that as far as Morelia is concerned right now, I'm kind of where I want to be, you know, uh, Apodora has really put a stop to me acquiring a lot of other stuff right? Yeah. because they're awesome. And I just want to fill my room with Apodora. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it, that's one thing that they, the, the pop ones have, um, changed is like, I'm kind of in this, this mode right now of reevaluating, um, some things in my collection and, and, uh, not necessarily getting rid of stuff, but I'm definitely not looking to bring a bunch of new stuff in just because I feel like with a species like Apodora, you got focus and it, it requires a lot of time in the snake room and watching the way that they're behaving and, uh, and accommodating them, you know, in, in different ways. Yeah, for based sure. Based on the stuff that you're seeing them do, you know? Right. Well, since uh, we've officially brought up Apodora pythons, that's going to be the the meat of this episode, and uh, we're going to be talking to you a bit about uh, kind of the stuff that goes into keeping those, uh, keeping that species. And, Hear about uh, your personal okay. experience with them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Strictly, all I can all I can give you guys is my personal experience. I'm by no means any kind of expert or anything like that. I've only been keeping them little bit more than like a year and four or five months so it's it's strictly just my observation and uh so anybody that's wanting to get into them take what i say with a grain of salt because it's what works for me you well, know you've got so. more experience with them than 99 percent of the country so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure and that that's one thing that we that we you know kind of say about our our podcast as a whole is like you know what we say is our opinions and our observations you know it's not it's not the bible as far as keeping you know it's just what we've experienced and what we've observed in our collections you know over however long so you know that that year and x amount of months that you've been keeping outdoors i'm sure you definitely have a a bit of input you know you've kept them alive and healthy that long you know that's definitely that's definitely saying something you know there's not a not a whole lot of people that keep this species so i'm sure um i'm sure there's there's going to be some people out there that want to know some uh know some details yeah. about the species as a whole so i would like to say that i've been listening to your guys's podcast over the last month or so and i really do enjoy it i uh, just want to throw that out there to you guys thanks yeah, thank good. you man it's thank very you entertaining. <laughs> we definitely try to keep it entertaining we try to keep it lighthearted, but you know at the when same we're not time. on air we're brutal to each other <laughs> Dude, it's bad <laughs> it's bad i'm pretty sure riley thinks we hate each other so <laughs> like Honestly, I question what myself whether I hate you or not. I haven't decided yet, but me too. Yeah, no, we've definitely become. You know, we actually, in, in retrospect, we really haven't known each other all that long. You know, yeah. we've met. We, I think we it was like March. Yeah, we linked up in around March, February, or March, somewhere around there. And uh, when you were in the trap house, yeah, the trap house <laughs> <laughs> over uh, over in the hood. But, uh, we, uh, yeah, we just, we just kind of hit it off right off the bat. It was kind of just the stars aligned with, uh, our friendship and, uh, like having a little sister. (laughs) 
that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. I gotta say, that was a good one. I don't have a, I don't have a response for that. Some pretty witty ones every once in a while. I've noticed. <laughs> it's mostly Justin. He's he's uh he's smarter than I am. So I have an imagination. Yeah, and I like to yield it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, man, we appreciate that. Glad you like it. Uh, we try to keep it lighthearted. Try to keep it, you know, easy jolly going. and gay. Jolly. What? <laughs> uh, so uh, I guess the, you want to dive into the Apador Inn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, uh, I guess give us the, the yeah, penis, definitely. Paint us a picture of how you got yeah, them. And... Let's uh, start with you know how you acquired okay. yours and what what exactly made you want to start keeping Apador pythons. Okay, Bob, Bob uh, Ross the shit out of it. Uh, <laughs> make some happy trees. Uh, <laughs> uh, we so it started. I was listening to Morelia Python Radio, and they had Bill Hughes on. Yeah, and uh, he was talking about how he, how we as keepers need to like we have this bread and butter stuff that we like, you know, but there's certain things that I mean if we don't get them and establish some some uh, domestic breeding and reproduction, we're going to lose it because there's no guarantee all this stuff is going to be open forever, you know? For sure. And that just really struck a chord with me. Um, and I'd, I'd been looking at Apador for a while. Uh, I'd, I uh, My friend Tony Jerome, uh, so, uh, Selective Scales, he uh, he has a, a big male. Uh, uh, he... And I went over to his house and I kind of checked it out and, and I fell in love with it, you know. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I want to get into these. You know, they're, they're just, there's, <laughs> I don't, have either of you ever been around one? Have you ever interacted with one ever? No, I, I personally, no, I've never interacted with one. Uh, it's definitely been something I've wanted to do for a while, but no, I've, ne- I've yeah. actually never seen one in person. They're, uh, there's Same something to behold. They're a different, they're, there's definitely a lot more going on upstairs with these guys than your average snake, in my right. opinion. Um, and so I, uh, I kind of got Tony on the on the hunt for me because he had picked his boy up. It was a, a wild caught import female that uh, had laid eggs, and he ended up getting a, a male, so captive hatch. And so he kind of had some connections, and he he put his feelers out for me, and got in contact with uh, Joe Swatalski and uh scoop my big uh wild caught female i think when i picked her up she's about five six foot oh, me wow. and my uh, neighbor doug uh he uh he's a 50 percent owner of that project so we kind of work it together um because it's not a cheap project so it's nice to have someone to 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 kind of split it up with For but sure. um uh what was i saying let's see uh, so i got i got her in and uh, went through the whole deworming process. She was pretty filled up with roundworms, mm. pretty bad. I mean, not to the point where she was sick or anything like that, but just it, it took a, the full, you know, month and a half, every other feeding, deworming. It was pretty funky. It was some nasty stuff. Um, but got her all cleaned up, and she's uh, she's feeding. Typically, she only wants birds, so chicken, quail. But the way I've gotten around that kind of is uh, I use those giant reptilinks and I'll get like the quail rabbit blend. So she's getting some mammalian protein in there. Yeah. Uh, I feed her organic chicken drumsticks and then uh, 
she's actually gotten to the size now where about i uh i actually keep chickens and uh we'll be processing a bunch of them because they're kind of they need to retire and uh and uh, she'll be getting some of those full chicken she's big enough to take a full chicken now so wow wow that's mm. a that's a beast of an animal then it's just she can eat yeah. a full full-blown adult chicken man yeah uh i what uh, i want to preface uh they uh, whenever i process them i'll be cutting the le- the the feet off and the beak and mm. defeathering them just because it's a little bit of a digestive hazard the beak and stuff yeah so, for sure for sure uh, but yeah it's uh make it as safe as possible and i'll uh freeze those chickens for a while and make sure they're good to go and she'll be getting some uh free range homegrown chickens so nice man well that's really Um, cool i guess so i picked up my male he's a captive born and bred male uh from uh uh megan or good lord not megan kevin megan walensky uh he's he's up in the midwest so i think it's illinois or something like that um and uh he i picked up that mail from him and i think it was paid for in november of last year but because of winter time and all that jazz i didn't end up getting him until february of this year and he's been actually really cool um the male's demeanor is a little bit more laid back and i've noticed that even with my buddy tony's his uh his male is very mellow. My female—that's not to say that my female is uh, uh, super aggressive or anything like that—but she does get quite uh, cage defensive. Once you pull her out, she's completely placid. But they're very territorial, the females, mm-hmm. and that's what I've heard from uh, Kevin. He was telling me that uh, having bred, bred them in captivity, he he knows quite a bit. Um, but uh, he. Uh, he let me know that all his females are like that. So I'm, I'm thinking that's pretty uh, standard behavior for adult females is they're pretty territorial of their space. But like I said, once you get them out, they, it's, I don't know, it's probably one of the most calm snakes that uh, I've ever handled. So. Nice. And what's your setup like for them? Yeah. Let's talk about Ooh. a little bit of husbandry for these guys. Cause that's one thing I've been uh, a little curious about how they're actually, uh, they're pretty, kept. they're pretty simple as far as husbandry. Uh, my female is in a big, uh, we built a, uh, what is it? I think it's six, six foot long by two foot deep by two foot tall. And there's a perch in there and she doesn't perch, but she will get up on to the perch in the night at nighttime and kind of use it as a jungle gym and stuff. So I offer it and she uses it. I kind of just look at it as exercise. Um, and I keep a, a pretty large tote in the middle of her cage and it gets five gallons of water in it, uh, every two or twice a week. I do, I change the water out twice a week. They seem to know whenever you change that water out immediately. I mean, she's out and in that tub and drinking, and but as soon as it's two days old, she doesn't want anything yeah, to do. With it. Gets stale. You know, not at all. Yeah. Um, they're they're they. Uh, I I don't want to say that they necessarily need a bunch of humidity all the time, but it's not. They need. I wouldn't get it probably lower than fifty. I'd probably keep it in sixty percent humidity in their cage okay. as, as much as possible um they can have really dry sheds if you're not bumping that humidity and changing that water out for mm-hmm. hydration uh i've only had a real rough shed with her one time since i've had her 
and uh it was pretty bad i ended up having to like hold her and peel all of her uh face face shed off and the lenses it was not good and i don't and i didn't really do anything different than i had been but i think it was like on the tail end of winter and maybe i just wasn't paying attention like i should have been i don't know but uh i definitely since that time i've uh when she goes blue it's uh it's a priority you know yeah for uh, sure and do you like spray down her cage in order to keep that humidity up or what what's your, uh, yeah what's your process? Uh, under normal circumstances when she's not in shed i've got i use cypress mulch for her mm-hmm. bedding and i change it out probably at least once a quarter probably uh once every t- or twice a quarter if the uh or twice a quarter and i spot clean in between you know do the best i can these guys really like to have a loose substrate. They do a lot of uh, burrowing, I've noticed. Um, and the cypress mulch just keeps that humidity. So about every two or three days, I'll go in there with a pump sprayer, and I'll just soak the cypress mulch down. Not to where it's like sopping, but pretty wet, you know. Yeah. And then I let that kind of burn off for a couple, three or two or three days, you know. And uh, that seems to be working, you know. I haven't had any kind of respiratory issues or anything like that uh i'm a huge proponent of properly ventilated cages for sure um i would rather spray a cage down every day if the humidity is an issue than not have enough ventilation in my cage just to keep the humidity up i don't think that that's a good idea yeah Um, absolutely because i feel like the whole ventilation thing you know that can cause way more issues than you know if if you don't have enough versus having too much you know i'd like you said i'd rather go in and spray my cage every day than have a cage that's not uh ventilated properly because that just condones all kind of all kinds of bacteria and mold and you know no matter what kind of substrate you're using if that if that that, uh, humidity can't escape then yeah, you're gonna run into cypress, all kinds of issues will mold a little bit if you get it too wet and it doesn't have i mean it i mean it happens it's organic so right uh one thing i will say uh just throw this out there i don't know uh, uh, this is just kind of my my little warning i don't think that anybody that uses cypress mulch should just go and buy cypress mulch from the store and put it in their cages I've known a couple people that have done that and had mite outbreaks in their in, in their um, uh, collections. I, whenever I do a uh, full like swap out because I've got, I usually most of my stuff is newspaper and stuff uh, for juveniles and and like grow out stuff. But uh, once they hit adult size, I like to switch them over to a loose substrate, and I'll take that cypress mulch and I just have a day where I bake it in the oven and like big like sheets, I'll bake it in the oven at 450 for like 30 minutes mm-hmm. and then let it cool off and just kill any kind of funk or bugs or anything that's in there. It's just, I've seen it happen too many times. To, to not do that. Right. And do you, where do you get your Cypress from? Do you buy in like a bulk quantity or, or I go to Lowe's and just buy it by the, so I think they're like 20, 50 pound bags, 25 okay. pound bags, something like that. Okay, yeah, I didn't know if you got it from Lowe's or if you got it from you yeah. know some type of reptile dis- distributor. No, I do a lot of. I'm a big fan of like DIY stuff. I like yeah. to. Uh, I like to. I, I like to build cages. I like to to kind of just figure stuff out myself and do it. I mean, do it as safe as possible and know that it's sure. not gonna hurt the animal. But I don't know. You kind of pay a premium whenever you go to like reptile specific stuff. I feel like. Yeah, and definitely. with the amount of animals that I've got, I 
I kind of need to save money where I can as long as it's not going to hurt the animals, you know? Right. Yeah, that's, absolutely. that's That right there is exactly what we always try to say, you know, is cut corners where you can, you know, as far as, you know, stuff for like substrate for young, you know, animals. Like use use paper towels versus some expensive substrate that you can get at PetSmart, you know, mm-hmm. just because just to save that money. You they know, put a it, snake or a bearded dragon on the bag and then they jack the price up twice yeah, well, on what it's exactly. worth. Exactly. I mean, you're going to pay for it with one thing or another. So I'm not paying for that cypress mulch with money. I'm paying for it with time and having to sit there and bake it all day long, you know? Yeah, it's either exactly. Time or money and, and it's what, what are you willing to do, you know? So, right. Yeah. That's, that's one thing we always try to say is, you know, cut, cut corners where it's not going to affect the animal in a negative way. You know, obviously, you know, me personally, I spend, I spend a lot of money where it counts, you know, where if I need to spend the cash on something, you know, nice and high quality, then I absolutely will do it. But if I can cut corners buying, you know, cheaper substrate, that's still going to work fine or cheaper water bowls or cheaper hides just to get by, you know, but they're still going to work just as well. Then that's, I will absolutely do that, you know, because when you have a larger collection, that's, you know, that's something you really need to consider. Well, in in the in in the uh, in 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 bringing this subject up, I'll give you guys a little tip. Uh, you you know those big uh, dog like crock bowls? Yeah, like, yep. uh, just like a dog bowl, you know, the big yeah, normal, all too like, well. like Great Danes and stuff, uh, like ceramic. If you go to uh, like TJ Maxx or Ross, they they have a little pet section, and they have those like. 12 15 inch bowls for like two to two dollars or three three dollars so like once or two times a year i'll go in there and i'll just clean them out i just go there with like 30 40 bucks and just buy everything yeah. those are i use those right now for most of my yeah, stuff i just get them from walmart i just cheap there but i just bought like six of those crock dishes from walmart <laughs> personally like they're super cheap man and he yeah. messaged me he's like dude these are awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah they're great man they're good, and uh, I, I uh, as far as husbandry with my water bowls, I'm pretty anal retentive. Uh, no more than a week, and I, uh, I take my stuff out. It gets washed, and then it gets tossed in the microwave, microwave for three minutes, and sit like heat shocked or whatever, zapped a little bit. And uh, up to this date, I've never dealt with any kind of full blown nasty RI. Knock on wood, uh, and I kind of I attribute that to uh, my crazy water bowl. <laughs> Uh, diligence, I guess. Uh, I've had some sniffles, but it wasn't anything that I couldn't just crank the heat up on a little bit and it went away. Right. You know? So, yeah, that's pretty nice. For sure, dude. Um, so, going to your enclosure, you said your big girl is currently in a six by two. Is that going to be her forever home, or are you plan on you know, up- upgrading her, or what's what's uh, your thought with that? If I feel the need to, I'll definitely do it. Um, just because we build them, so it's my my neighbor who's part of this project. He's got a full blown wood shop, mm-hmm. and so we've got all the tools to do. We can make them however the hell we want to. You nice. know, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a nice thing. Um, you know. What I've noticed with these, and uh, and I'm that's not just mine. Uh, with my buddy Tony's, his is a, his male is uh, he's pushing twelve foot, I think. And wow. you know he's in a six footer, and they don't use a lot of space. They don't like to be. I mean, they get out and cruise at nighttime. They're they're really nocturnal. They're insanely active at nighttime. Um, 
but uh they don't they they like to they like to hide you know they like to be mm-hmm. kind of tucked away they don't right. like to be exposed or anything and i feel like i get my girl out once a week and she runs around the backyard i've got a full privacy fence and so no one can see anything but uh she runs around the backyard under my supervision and gets some exercise and i mean she's content so if i feel like i need to bump it up to an eight footer at some point i'll definitely do that but i mean from what i've seen so far i think six foot's pretty good you know as long as you're getting them out and letting them do their thing you know right i wouldn't sure. want to keep them in there if you don't have the time to like get them out and let them get a little bit of enrichment i think then definitely you need to get a larger enclosure but i think that's with any large snake you know Okay. Just my opinion. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You were saying males don't get. No, I think males they, get just. They stay about the same size. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. There's, I think, uh, because they are, uh, they can be cannibalistic during breeding season. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, a good thing for a male to be comfortable. Yeah, that makes sense. For sure. Um, and so for anybody uh, that hasn't, you know, really researched Apodoras or knows much about the species, um, how, how big do they get? You know, I know we were talking about this a little bit before we, we got started, but, yeah. you know, how, what's your average, you know, adult male and female uh, Apodora python? I think, uh, I think, honestly, 12 foot is like your average mm-hmm. uh, full grown snake. Uh you know, you, I've seen stuff on forums and people talk about like, like 14 feet and even like 16 foot snakes. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't believe that they get that large. It's not 16. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure you've got your freak of nature that gets a little bit bigger than 12, you know, yeah. you know, but, uh, I mean, it's just like that whole coastal carpet Python thing. Like, Oh, I've got a, I've got a 10 foot coastal. <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen a 10 foot coastal? I've no, no. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of that, you know, if, you know, say they, their average size would be about 12 foot, you know, again, you could compare them to carpets and to the people that, you know, may overfeed their animals. Like, yeah, I've seen a hundred pound. Yeah. You may, you may have a 14, 16 foot Apodora, but is that a healthy, you know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How, how obese is your Apodora? You know, it's like, yeah, it might be 16 foot but it's only going to live for you know six years whereas their lifespan should be 15 plus years you know something like well, that. well and if you're trying to breed them uh i've read a lot of stuff about breeding them and uh heavy is not the way to go at yeah. all heavy's not the way to go with any i feel like that's that's yeah. that's, that's very true for any species you're, you're right but uh specifically with them it just makes i mean some stuff even if you get it heavy it'll uh It'll breed. You'll just have like low, low egg rates and right. stuff like that. But uh, they say that these guys won't even go. You know? Wow. Okay. So uh, your feeding schedule for your big female, like, what are you looking at as far as like days in between? How big of a meal? You know, th- things like that. Do you wait every three to four weeks, two weeks, or what? What's your um, what's your schedule with her? They got a pretty fast metabolism. It's mm-hmm. pretty pretty ridiculous. I kind of just <laughs> whenever I first got her, it was like I would feed her every three weeks, mm-hmm. and now uh, I kind of just wait for her to show me that she's hungry. You know, like she right. starts cruising and and acting real uh, active at nighttime and flipping stuff over in her cage. Whenever <laughs> I come in here, I'll yeah. be like, okay, you're probably hungry, you know. But if she's just sitting in her hide and 
not coming out at night and i feel like she's satisfied you know i'm right I, I, I don't know i'm i'm not a really heavy feeder i don't i don't go crazy uh now when i do feed i i will uh uh mix in some large meals not anything dangerous but mm -hmm. occasional uh decent sized meals you know like i, I said it's uh, good with to her, change I'll, that up too uh yeah i'll feed uh like her typical deal is I'll get a uh, Reptilink, one of the, I think they're 100 grams, the biggest one they have, and I'll feed like 200 gram Reptilinks and yeah. uh, two organic chicken drumsticks, and she'll eat those, no problem. That's a pretty, like, that doesn't really leave a lump in her, really. It's not too, I mean, you can kind of see, but it's very slight, you know? Right. And then I'll do like two feedings like that, and then I'll do something like a feeder a whole chicken or feed her uh, five drumsticks, you know, something big, and then I won't feed her for a month and a half, you know. Right. It well, just kind of depends on what – I just – I like to vary it up because they're not getting the – it's not like they're like, oh, I'm looking for a medium rat in the wild. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if, I, if it's not a medium rat, I'm not eating it. I'd screw that. <laughs> yeah, um, that, and that's that's really cool. That's that's the kind of thing I like to hear from uh, from people, you know, changing it up. I think that's I think that's really healthy for for the animals, you know, and uh, I definitely think that's a much more natural diet. And I like how you say, you know, you kind of wait till she tells you she's hungry, you know, rather than feeding her every <clears throat> every ten or fourteen days on the dot. Because again, you know, thinking to the to the naturalistic side of things is, you know, the snakes in the wild aren't going to eat every 14 days on the dot, you know, um, snakes in general are opportunistic feeders. So when they get yeah. a chance to eat, they're going to take it, but it's not going to be every 14 days, you know, it's not going to be every month, you know, it's not going to be on a set schedule. It's going to be when they can get it and when they're hungry, you know? So that's, uh, that's one thing I do with, uh, my animals. I don't have, I don't have a set schedule for anything, you know, it's more of so like, okay, it's been enough time. They're hungry. I need to feed them. You know, yeah. it's not every two weeks, not every three weeks. It's just whenever, you know, I seem fit. Well, even on a week to week basis, you know, in the span of that, like seven days or right. five days, whatever, their body's still technically metabolizing that, yeah, that meal, even absolutely. if it's not, you don't see the lump anymore, mm -hmm. you know, like that's still, there's actually like studies that say like, even if you can't see the lump, they're still metabolizing food. Sure. So giving yeah. more of a gap in between meals isn't a bad thing. Definitely. Yeah. But, uh, how, how big around is that female like diameter wise? Um, uh... ballpark. Like, huh? I have to see uh, somewhere in between a baseball and a softball. Like, oh nice, wow! If you could split that difference, like, probably yeah. maybe just like an inch or two bigger in diameter than a baseball. Pretty, I mean, not too. They're not yeah. too thick. They, they're not a very heavy. I mean, they can be a heavy-bodied snake if you overfeed them, yeah. but uh, they're they're kind of a lean snake. Yeah, see, that's I'm actually a little surprised from hearing that because, like, some from some pictures I've seen, man, they're they're just thick as all get yeah, out. They you look, know, they that's, look really, they look they kind of look, like anacondas, like yeah, kind of chunky. Like, and kind of, well, that, they definitely shouldn't yeah. look like that. Yeah, that's just yeah. from again, you know, I haven't done you know a boatload of research on these things, and yeah. again, I have no hands-on experience. So that's just based off pictures I've seen. You know, I was thinking they were a much more girthy species. I mean, now, like when you when you're talking about like like a 12 foot animal they definitely get 
pick her around. But I mean, if you're looking at like relation of how long they are, right, to how thick they are, it yeah, kinda, that's nothing. It's still it's still slim, you know. It's not. It's a. They're definitely athletic snake. It's not. Yeah. A, it's not a berm or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So are they are Aptors more of a terrestrial or arboreal species? I know you mentioned earlier you give them you give your girl an opportunity to perch if uh, if she so desires. But you know, do you notice more of a a terrestrial side or arboreal I think, side? I think I think that uh, at least in in what I've observed is uh, they are. Uh, pretty terrestrial like i said they like to burrow Mm -hmm. they'll get down like underneath their substrate and uh they'll just disappear and they also i mean she utilizes that perch as well you know she she gets up there and like i said she doesn't perch like a chondro or a carpet or anything like that but she'll get her whole body on this giant i've got it's a uh crepe myrtle big old crepe myrtle branch Mm -hmm. i've got from one end of the cage to the other and uh, she'll get her whole body up on that, all 10 foot of it, and just hang out up there and kind of cruise around. I mean, I, I think they just use whatever's available to them, you know? Right. So so would you but say they're more of a arboreal? So, so would you say they're more of a semi arboreal species, kind of? Yeah. I mean, they'll use it yeah. if you give it to them, I guess. Right. Kinda, yeah, they'll use you know. it if you give it to them, but like they're, they stay on the ground most of the time. Right. Hmm. Okay. So you say they uh, they burrow a lot, you know. Do you have being that your female is as big as she is, you know? Do you have like a a really thick layer of substrate so she can totally get underneath it, or like what kind of or how uh, thick of a point, layer do you have? At one point, um, she could completely submerge. Uh, I was actually just talking to my neighbor about how we're gonna have to replace the the substrate lip on that cage to about two more inches tall because i want a deeper substrate layer yeah uh so right now i think my substrate layer is probably like three inches i'd like to go like five right and just give her like a nice giant thick uh thing to play around in it's i like guess a giant so, sand boa yeah <laughs> i mean they don't it's not all the time but they will go under there and they do it frequently you know it's not it's not like a sand boa right. quite quite that crazy but <laughs> Uh, it's, it was one of the first behaviors that I noticed that I hadn't heard anybody talk about. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I've never heard from, uh, Apodoras as being a, a burrowing species. That's, they that's, do it all. That's good to know. Um, and see, that's I feel of... like, I feel like that, that is one of those things, you know, for take carpets, for instance, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, they're more terrestrial, but sometimes they perch. So one thing that I do is even though I keep, you know, a lot of, a lot of them in rack systems, I'd give them small, you know, kind of short perches, you know, they can, where they can still perch if they so desire, but you know, the option is always there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though it may not be a required thing, you know, as far as like, you know, like for keeping chondros, like you have to have something for them to perch on, you know, for carpets, you know, a lot of people get away with no perching options at all, but it's one of those things that, you know, if it's, if it's not there, you know, will they survive? Yeah. But if it is, will they enjoy it? Yes. You know what I mean? So like I, I look at, you know, the burrowing aspect of Apodoras as being like, Will they utilize burrowing if it's there? Absolutely. But will they survive without it? 
Yes. Yeah. You know, so which one is going to make your snake happier, you know? Well, if, you're also maximizing space efficiency exactly. in the cage when you, when you offer stuff like that to take all that and, empty space, you know, between yeah. the, the ceiling and the floor, you know? For yeah. sure. I just feel like if you've got the space to, to offer it, why not at least try it? Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Try it. I, I like to, like, test things out and, and try different things, you know? I, uh, I think that it's important, you know, for growth in the hobby. Yeah, that's one. That's one thing that we preach a lot is you know that's try to try new things. Think you know. outside the box. Yeah, and think, think outside. For you know, obviously do within do things within you know uh, reach of the animal. Don't put don't put your uh, snake's life at risk by trying something yeah. nobody's ever done. But you know, do do little things just to see if it if it helps the the care of your animal and the overall health experiment yeah. yeah exactly i feel like a lot of people are afraid to do that nowadays and it's uh uh so uh, you guys touched on something i can't remember what what podcast it was but you guys touched on something that uh drives me nuts is whenever like i i don't mind like people con i actually enjoy when people contact me and have questions and stuff like that but when whenever people contact you guys and ask you questions that that make you just like ask yourself like i don't know how you guys do it but i whenever i first got into this like heavily i was researching as much as i like as much as i possibly could you know and i enjoyed it like that part of it was fun you know yeah. and then you get these people that call or, or message you and they're like i've got such and such problem and it's usually something really um basic husbandry issue you know <laughs> yeah something that a, yeah. a 30 second google search could exactly could answer. and you're just like and i don't want to be super rude and be like uh no nah, i'm not going to help you but man it's frustrating whenever you're just like you have all these resources like people have written full books about most of this stuff and you're why you can't just like do <laughs> yeah it. no that's do a that's a pet peeve of mine Come that i touched on, on. Yeah. Per personally, if people message me with simple questions, like I give them kind of a quick, short, simple answer, you know, I'll answer yeah. their question, but I don't go into detail about it. And I'll even say in some stuff, you know, I'll even refer them to forums or, you know, websites or whatever I need to do, you know, but I, I make them do a little bit of work, you know, it's, yeah. I'm not saying I'm an absolute, like not going to tell you anything yeah, right. or anything like that. But this it gets a little frustrating, just a little. Yeah, a little no, and, and I, like I, I did my due diligence, and it's even easier now than it was whenever I was doing it, like eight years ago, to find the information that you're looking for, you know. So I don't know, it's a little frustrating. Though. Yeah, and my I'm, thing's always been like it's one thing to ask a question that you've searched for answers for and just can't find one. Like, yeah. be it about yeah. something specific and odd that like a lot of people probably wouldn't know, except for the people that actually have experience with it. Um, but for the most part, it just seems to me like it's people just, they feel like their situation is different or you're you're kind of the first person they saw and they didn't know if they should trust the stuff that Google has. So, I mean, I do kind of see both sides at the same time. It's like when I look up stuff, I go search like all, you know, whatever Google gives me, I, I read everything and double check that information and you know, read different sources. Don't just read one right. and then go, you know, disappear and yeah. say, Oh, that's, that's, that's the answer. I'm more right talking there. about the cold, like 
you can tell that they haven't done a lick at oh anything. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that, 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 that just annoys me but uh, i yeah. think uh, along with all of that is also gonna depend on the species they're looking into you know yeah. like yeah. if they hit me up about carpets then it's like okay there's a lot, a lot of the questions you're asking you could easily find on google there's a lot yeah. of people that work with carpet pythons out there but if you're looking at something like the apodora pythons you know there's not nearly as much info on the internet about them as there are about carpets so i can more so understand uh someone getting into apodoras hitting you up and you know asking some basic questions simply because you have hands-on experience and they can't find that much on google you know well you're not the the average person that is getting into apodora is not a a novice to the reptile yeah yeah that's that's also true they're not they're not brand new to the hobby really run into that right yeah no for sure but you know but that's also an aspect of something to consider with you know people asking questions but at the same time you know it's people uh, it's hard for me because like i when i was getting first getting into this was like i i didn't ask anybody about anything i did all my research online google youtube you know everything i could for hours you know every single day you know so I don't want to just hand over the research to people, yeah. you know, but uh, there, there's they definitely need to utilize all the resources that are out there. Yeah. I, uh, many... To bring it back, oh, I'll bring it back around. Right? I didn't mean to go off on a sand, tight No, you're tangent. good. You're good. We came up on one of y'all's podcasts. We live recently, on tangents. I was like, I need, I need to talk to them about that because <laughs> that's something that drives me nuts. Um, but bring it back to Apodora. Uh, one thing that I do notice is they do not like it hot they not they oh. don't even when digesting i mean like 83 degrees they're wow. happy like that they don't want any kind of i noticed that my female if i get her hot spot any higher than 85 she's just hugging the cool side of her cage like nobody's business wow yeah that was what that was one other thing i wanted to ask you uh do you so since you say about 80 82 83 is that ambient temp or is that hot no, side no that's her hot spot so okay I run my room pretty cool. Uh, some people kind of freak out about, I, I, but like I said, I've never had any kind of issues. So, right. but uh, I, I keep my room 78 in the summer, mm-hmm. like 78, 79, and uh, ambient. And then most of my carpets or hot spots are around 85. Uh, the, obviously, if it's a gravid female, she, it gets cranked up, but. Uh, uh, just during the year it's about 85 and then the apodora their hot spots are 83.5 and that kind of took some like dialing it was it's one of those things where you got to be the student of the serpent and, and watch your snake and and uh just figure it out because they make it obvious if you're paying attention you just right. got yeah. attention, you know um uh she she uh when i first got her I knew that they didn't like it super, super hot, uh, just from some reading that I'd done. But I thought, okay, well, uh, I'll keep it 85, and that should be good. And she wasn't cruising her cage at nighttime. She's just on that cool side up against the wall. Like, didn't uh-huh. it was just too hot, you know? And I'm not running. I'm running proportional thermostats. That's so not on off or anything like that. It's uh, it's it's exact stuff. So I uh, I kicked it down and. She became instantly more active. She wasn't as cage defensive, and I just they I think they run cooler, honestly. 
Wow. That's not to say that they need some kind of crazy drop like a bread lie in the winter time to breed, but uh, which I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think so though. With them being so equatorial, so. Yeah, where did your do you know where your import your your female came from originally? I, I, he couldn't give me any uh, nope other than she's walking. Their range is huge. Have is you it? seen a range? Man? I haven't. It's pretty. It's pretty big. It pretty much goes. Let me pull up the picture. Hold on one second. I I, I googled it before because I've seen it before, but I googled a picture before the show just to kind of refresh myself. Um, so it's it's pretty much all the coastline of southern Papua New Guinea up into like up towards the mountain ranges, and mm-hmm. then it wraps around to the the northeastern side. Wow. And it stops about middle, and then it picks back up on the northwestern side and wraps all the way up to uh, west uh, West Papua. And it's they even range on a couple islands off of West Papua. Oh, wow. So, I mean, there could be different localities that look a little different, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Seems to be the, the running theme enough. with everything else from there. So. There's yeah. just no... There's, there's no, there's been no work done on them, you yeah. know, not anything yeah. substantial anyway. So, how many yeah. people do you know of in the country that are that are doing anything with them? Uh, a handful, like Eric Burke, uh, myself, Tony Jerome, uh, a few others. People, there's not people aren't super vocal about them. I think that there's people, a lot more people that keep them. KJ's got some. He he got. I know he got some. Uh, I think people keep them and don't necessarily say something about them. Right. You know, uh, kind of like water pythons. Yeah. yeah. Just because they're not really anything spectacular yeah, looking, yeah. really, and like they're not. But see, super that, colored I feel and, like that's that's a little different because you know water pythons are just kind of a low key species that people keep. But I feel like I feel like apodoras. You know, that's just. Maybe they just haven't caught on yet. They're kind Honestly, of like scrubs. Like they if, haven't I, really... if I had an Apodora, man, I'd be I'd be posting that crap. They haven't all really the time. gotten their that their is... day in the sun. Yeah, that's... I want to say something, and it's probably going to hurt people's feelings. Uh-oh. But hurt uh, the fact that people call them Pop One Olive Pythons drives oh me gosh. absolutely crazy. Yes, dude. So I I handled an Olive Python and then handled a Pop One Python. They could not be more different. They're not. It's not even close to the same snake. Yeah. Not even a, a tidbit. That, like, not that... at all, man. Uh, it drives me nuts. And we were. I was at NARBC this last this last one in Arlington, and there's a jobber. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, they had a, all. Of, I just saw across the table. It said all of python is in an acrylic box, just squished in there, mm-hmm. and I'm like. I look, I can see far away. I'm like, I see the scales. I can't see the face. I'm like, that ain't no all python. I walk over there and it's like an unsexed, probably two year old uh, pop one python labeled as an olive python. Like, they don't even know what the hell they have. Like, they're just <laughs> mislabeling shit. And it was pretty good looking. Had I had the money, I probably would have bought it. But I just, I, uh, I, I think next year I want to add a couple more, uh, like at least another pair. Yeah, for but, sure. Yeah, uh, that... it just drives me nuts that they get, they get, uh, 
labeled as all of pythons it's just not it's not even close to the same thing man do you think that do you think the bit because that's that's one thing i've heard you know from serious uh poplin python uh keepers you know that's that's one thing that they say it's like it's not a poplin olive python like it's an apodora or a poplin python like it's it's not an olive at all so do you think that name kind of came from the 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 skin color, They're you know, skin color? tone, like I mean, the, they like they're yeah, kind of the same colors. The olive pythons, or where where do you think that origin, I mean, originated? Shades of gray, you know, like it's yes, they're kind of the same color, but even if you put them next to each other, if you were to put one right next to each other, you could I you could they're way different. Like just the yeah. colors different. The poplin pythons have like a a dorsal stripe that's darker, and then their oh. their sides are real light. And they can like change color and stuff. And olive python is an olive python all the time. Right. And it's just one color. There's not a stripe. Their scales are a little bit different, you know. And it's, like, just look at um, the head between the two. The heads um, are night and day difference, man. That, that's one thing that yeah. I think is really cool about the apodors or the poplin pythons is like they're the way their head is shaped and the way it just looks is, is completely different than anything I, I've seen in the Python world, you know? the olives just kind of look like a giant water python, right? Yeah, the basically, they, like they pardon my ignorance. I mean, they're in, they're in the same genus. They're both lyases, you know? They're, yeah, they're very closely related. They're just a big water python, you know? Or a water yeah. python is a small olive python. But if you yeah. look at uh, an apodora and an olive, the head is... Yeah, completely That's different. The thing that stood know? out to me about them. So look at the eyes. So this is something that I've been that I've kind of looked at. So you you know Apador, like they eat snakes. They're they're mm-hmm. like a predator's predator, you know. Right. And uh, so what do we know about predators? Predators have forward facing eyes. If you look at Apador's eyes, they're like on this like shelf, and it's almost like they're tilted more forward instead of being on the sides of their head like most snakes right and i i mean it's like the apex of apex predators (laughs) yeah and that's not 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 what makes them cool i hate it when people are are they're always like oh apodora cool because they eat other snakes i mean that's i mean it's an interesting behavior yes uh am i gonna feed snakes to my apodora no i'm not doing that you know for many reasons one of them being it may get them used to eating snakes and i go to put my mail in there and (laughs) the female thinks it's lunchtime you know yeah yeah you know that is it a cool behavior and it's definitely something to to understand and 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 maybe research a little bit yeah but king cobras they are not no that people that say that obviously haven't handled one or been around one enough uh, in my opinion it really that's something that irritates me too i feel like this is a session of what really grinds my gears yeah (laughs) no dude that's that's what we like to talk about man that's uh that's definitely part of the show i mean it's kind of funny because everyone like that we kind of talk to has the same gripes we do (laughs) we really do yeah episodes just on repeat yeah pretty much Um, um, um so you said uh earlier in the beginning that uh it, it seems like there's there's more clicking upstairs with them and i've said that about you know about like scrub Me. pythons you know not you there's nothing clicking upstairs in you <laughs> um the monkey with the symbols yeah pretty much <laughs> um but like what kind of behaviors and stuff that what have you observed with apodores that have made you kind of think that what what have their what do they act like you know that has made you make that observation it's uh i guess really 
the way that they act once you once you uh, open their cage. Now, aside from the defensiveness, once my female realizes that I'm not going to kill her or something, um, she calms down pretty quick. But, you know, it's just small things like the way that they move their head and they can kind of – it's like – it's almost like they're thinking. Like they'll kind of cock their head sideways and they kind of look at you. You can see their pupil like right. – adjusting and and tongue they 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 do a lot of tongue flicking and i mean they're they're very vocal snake you know they they're they're uh if if people didn't know that about them they uh that's something that would probably freak somebody out that hadn't ever kept them before they're they blow like they just see that's i that that's funny because i i'm big into um Poplin carpets or IJs, you know, whatever people want to call them nowadays. And that's, that's something that a lot of them really, a lot of them do. They just blow a lot. You know, I say, I tell my girlfriend, like, you know, she'll be, she'll be over here. She'll be holding one of my, uh, Poplins and, She's like, oh, it's making noises. Noises. I'm like, ah, she's just puffy. You know, they they all puff like a lot. You know, they make little yeah. noises. And you know, and the first time I experienced that, I I was like, oh my god, like this thing has a respiratory infection. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was my first thought. But then yeah. I kept observing. I did a little bit of research, and come to find out, they're just a little bit more vocal. You yeah, carpets. Bread, you know? Bread like that as well. Breadlier, very vocal. Uh, yeah, I've, I've noticed, especially adult females. Um, but you know, uh, it's almost like they're kind of like talking to you. It's kind of weird and it's yeah. constant. like, it's all the time. It's not yeah. just like every once in a while when you pull them out, they're doing it all the time. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really fast moving snake. They don't, uh, as far as like the way they move, uh, it's very retic like lots of, uh, just constantly on the roll, you know, mm. uh, uh, it just feels like they're sizing you up all the time, just kind of <laughs> checking you out, like, "Hey, what, what, what's 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 the deal?" Whereas, like, any of my carpets, I'm just they they may be sizing you up, but it's not. It's more of like, uh, "I'm gonna bite your ass," you know? Like, yeah, yeah. It, you look like not, food. She's just kind of like, I don't know. It, it just seems like she's thinking, you know, yeah. in a in a very present way. The gears are turning in, in like a hardwired way. I don't yeah, know. I don't she, know how to she, explain it. She's not you, just you like around, she's well. not just moving through your hands, not just yeah, like being yeah, handled, not just doing her thing. Like she's actually thinking about stuff. They're not know? like yeah. the Amazons that have two modes, which is like off <laughs> and like the Amazon. Bitch, you're gonna get got. The Amazons are more like there's <clears throat> there's like food mode, and then there's I'm murder gonna, everything I'm with a pulse. kill you mode. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's actually I, I'm uh I've got that one emerald uh and it's kind of up on the it's we're on the fence about how she's doing uh mm. she had some regurge problems and I'm Uh-oh. trying to bring her back around she's a uh, wild caught kind of rolled the dice on it I knew what I was getting into but uh right. I, I don't know if it's gonna pan out it's kind of upsetting you know For I sure. uh called Harlan Wall and talked to him about it for a good two or three hours uh, yep, about two months ago. That's talking to Harlan on the phone for yeah, you. <laughs> he's a good dude. He's a good dude. Um, but uh, and I'm I'm not gonna let that like get me down as far as emeralds. I definitely want to get into them. But uh, uh, that whole rigor, it's it's a it's a headache, man. That that yeah. that stuff is it's it's very disheartening. But it doesn't. 
a lot of people it makes them just want to not keep them yeah it hasn't got me there at all you know i mean I understand what a wild caught animal is, you know. It, it, the deal is, is wild caught's have their place, in my opinion, and uh, you just got to know what you're getting into. Right. And uh, if you can't handle what you're getting into, you shouldn't do it. And yeah. that's just is what it is. Absolutely, I definitely yeah. think you know the wild caught aspect of things is. And like you said, it definitely has its place in that, you know, for say changing up bloodlines, you know, getting new blood. Yep. So there's not just a bunch of inbreeding going on. Um, but like you said, you know, and that's one thing uh, a few people have kind of, you know, uh, spoken about is leave the the wild caught stuff, the farm stuff to the professionals. You know, you're you're beginner keeper you really don't want to get into we'll just your, know what you're getting stuff. yeah know what you're signing up for right you yeah, know even, I think even like i've seen people that get like uh uh farm farm farmed uh green trees and they did their due diligence they did the research and they do fine with them you know right I, i'm not saying that even a beginner can't get into something that's farmed but you need to know what you're getting into you need exactly. to under, fully understand the risk you're taking and and don't be going online and bitching about it whenever it doesn't pan out because right. it's a risk you know absolutely so. speaking of important have you ever kept chondros <laughs> me yeah uh no i, I i'm good friends with uh, uh ian Bissell and i've got a voucher i got from him uh from his carpet fest uh down there and nice uh i think next year i'll be purchasing at least one um from him he would kill me if i didn't get it from him so i gotta get it from him <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get my hands on on one or two from him eventually no he's got some nice animals and, and yeah. they're clean and ian's a good dude and he does stuff right you know uh for sure uh, man ian actually one of the guys that that convinced me to get pop ones he uh he was pumping them up a couple carpet fests ago because he had went and saw uh, my buddy tony's before i did and he's like dude you gotta go see this snake you don't even understand what this is like you just got to go interact with it and i went and as soon as i did i was sold i i bet you anything if either of you mess with a pop one you would want one immediately i have i haven't messed with a pop one and i i already wanted one before this episode but now that you're telling me more about them and you know i'm able to actually pick your brain about it a little bit it's it's making me want one even more you know it's uh, they're, they're, it's, they're 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 it's the most interesting species that I've kept, you right. know, and, and I've only kept a limited amount of stuff, but it's just, it's, I, w I don't want to say challenging. It's intriguing. It, there's something that, that constantly like you, I go in my room and I'm like, what's my poplin Python doing? What are they doing? What, yeah. what, what's going on with the poplin Pythons? You know? And um, I, I can relate to that because, you know, for the longest time I've been keeping carp, pretty much strictly carpet pythons um but i recently got uh, a scrub python a couple months ago and that's basically mm -hmm. how i felt about him is you know it, it just seems like it's he's such a more intriguing species you know at least in my opinion like yeah he can be yeah. a little asshole at times but you know it just seems like like you said with the the poplin pythons it just seems like there's more clicking with him you know and there may yeah. be maybe even more clicking with the poplins than with scrubs but in my opinion, it seems like there's more going on upstairs with the scrub versus the carpets. You know, oh, yeah. it's it, it's been a really cool species to work with, and you know, having branched out a little bit into that, um, it makes me definitely want to move a little bit more. 
But Justin is laughing his ass off over here, so I'm kind of curious what he's uh, over here chuckling about. Because I wake up in the morning, I'm like, man, what are the chondros doing? They're just sitting sleeping. The They're just sitting there <laughs> at all. all They're in the same place that they were yesterday afternoon. <laughs> like they haven't moved in like 14 hours. Well, that, and that's cool too, man. Like I, I get the draw of that as well. You know, like I, my wife has told me uh, that I'm allowed. She said that either emeralds or green trees. I, I, so I've got a whole room in my garage that I built. That's my snake room, and uh, uh, I want to have a nice like display deal in my uh in my living room and she's like okay she gave me the thumbs up she can she's like you can get a pair of emeralds or green trees do a nice display i said but but what if i breed them well then i'm gonna have to get a bunch of like cube displays because i'm not selling any of them i'll just (laughs) raise them up i said could i have like this wall over here she's like i guess she's She got when I got into this back in 2011, like real heavy. I've been keeping reptiles my whole life, off and on. But like when I got into it, like heavy, um, she was not cool. She's not a fan of snake or anything. And now she'll come in and grab the woma out. She grabs my Doomerel's bow out. She's she's really come a long way. You know, she's she supports my craziness a lot. Right there in the trenches, man. That's honestly that that is awesome, man. You know, I think we talked about in the in the one of the more recent episodes is if you know you're if your significant other really you know at the very least supports what you do it's like you know she doesn't have to love every aspect of reptiles but if she supports what you do and just you know lets you do what you do you know that's that's huge huge man you know if, if you've got a woman that supports supports this hobby you know that's that's a keeper right there it, it, it's I, I don't know that it's possible to do if you have a significant other that doesn't at least support you yeah then i mean i think it'd be very difficult because i mean you guys know this 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 hobby is it it becomes a uh i mean it's like a part of you like it's yeah it's, a, it's part of your character like i can't even imagine not keeping my snakes like it, it it's part of the reason i get up in the morning you know so yeah it becomes part of your identity. And if your spouse is not cool with that, then it's almost like there's a part of you that they don't like, you know? And yeah, and it's, it's so hard for other people who don't have that to grasp. Yeah. You know, they don't, it's yeah. like, they can't really relate to it, which just makes it more frustrating. Yeah. Cause like, if they don't get it, then it's like, I can't explain this yeah, to where it's going to make any sort of sense <laughs> or make me seem sane in any way. So you yeah, like, shape you know, form. if you're not, if you're not a part of, this hobby like you really you can't grasp grasp what it means to us you know that's that's one thing you know i told my i've told my girlfriend since we started going out is like look like my one thing is like i have to be able to keep my animals like i i'm sorry but i will not give up my hobby and this passion that i have for anything or anyone you know it this is a part of me and if you like it great if you don't well there's There's the door (laughs) there's a problem my favorite favorite reptile meme that you see on like facebook and stuff all the time is that 
meme where it's like the the couple and he's like i'll do anything for you she's like really would you get rid of your reptiles and he's like 300 kicking her off a cliff (laughs) (laughs) there's another one uh similar to that i think it's more it's a guy singing he's like i i do anything for love and then it's another one it's like would you sell your reptiles but i won't do that it's like yeah that's that's pretty much exactly you know i feel like anybody who's you know real really serious about this this hobby is a fiber of your being yeah you know it's like like you said austin you know it's it's a part of us you know it's a part of what we do your identity man yeah I, i really believe that i mean at least for me and the people that i hang out with that are in the hobby down here in 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 texas you know uh it's it's who you are man and and if it's not then you're not doing it right in my opinion like if it's not part of your life then you're not you're not doing it right yeah for sure just keep a hermit crab like (laughs) at work like literally everybody at work either calls me jake the snake or just snake because i always talk i always talk about my stuff you know i walk into work and they're like snake what up and i'm like yeah bliskin from escape from new york yeah yeah, you know, but you know, and I and I'm okay with that. You know, I feel like a lot of times they take it as like kind of making fun of me, almost in the way calling me Jake the Snake. But I, I take it as a compliment, man. It's like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm Jake the Snake. You come yeah. rolling up into work, and they're like, "Hey, Bliskin," they're like, "Call me Snake." So I worked at a uh, at a uh, tankhead manufacturing company. It's yeah. a, for the oil and gas industry, and so we were like on the outskirts of Fort Worth, and so we would get a lot of snakes and stuff that would come into the factory and stuff and they knew that i kept snakes and i would always get calls like hey we got a snake over here and i kind of made it known like hey uh i mean you got a lot of non-english speaking guys and they've got a lot of apprehension about snakes it's part Mm -hmm. of their culture you know and and i would be like look just don't kill it don't chop it in half with a shovel you call me i'll come get it and move it somewhere, you know. I mean, right. as long as it's nothing crazy, venomous, or anything, I don't have a lot. I don't do hops. That's one thing. I'm, I mean, I, I feel confident I could use a stick and get one in a bucket and and move it somewhere. But uh, that's that's about that's about the extent of my hot stuff. But uh, I I would always I was constantly relocating snakes that would find their way into the factory and stuff. I actually have a bull snake. It's a lone bull snake that uh, I rescued from a cat that was tearing it up at wow. that factory it had like a giant gash in its back and it, the end of its tail was nipped off and she was Jeez. probably he was uh like 12 inches like he had just hatched out i think that spring and wow. uh, i ended up nursing him back to health and he's like five foot long now and he's a lone bull snake and he's my garbage disposal in my nice. collection nice i had a bull snake once yeah. that's awesome they were cool yeah, they're, they're, they're really cool, especially if you get one that doesn't want to musk all over you all the time. Mine doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, that's actually one thing I started doing uh, when I uh, was in college. I studied uh, wildlife management, and um, we had to do an internship uh, the summer between our two. Um, or we did it was it was two years total. We did four semesters, so between you know during your summer semester, you did an internship. And, um, I actually got on a uh, plantation not far from her house. And, you know, one thing that was made very apparent to me is that it's a, it's a quail hunting plantation. So one thing that they do is try to keep it traditional and they run dogs, they do horseback, you know, it's a very traditional way of quail hunting. 
And um, so snakes to them, because of the the dogs, was kind of a big thing. You know, we had a lot yeah. of cane break rattlesnakes. So, you know, there it wasn't uncommon for a dog to get hit by a cane break or a copperhead. You know, even while I was there, I think we had two dogs that, you know, had to sit out for several weeks because they got hit by uh, hot snakes. Um, mm-hmm. But so that was kind of the main thing out there was like, if it's a snake, you kill it. You know, that it's just how it was. And so my goal was to, okay, I need to, I need to change this. So within a couple weeks of working there, I went to the, the property manager and I was like, Hey, you know, rather than everybody kill these things, can I bring all my gear? I'll bring bags, a bucket, a critter and, keeper, and my hook. No, not a critter, critter keeper. Um, <laughs> critter keeper. But I'll bring you know my snake bags, my hook, you know everything I need to remove these things. You know, so can I be an insurance liability? You know, can <laughs> can I take them off the property rather <laughs> rather? Jesus. <laughs> so I, you know, I went to him. I was like, "Hey, can I take these off the property rather than you know y'all just slaughter them all?" And, They're good you know, for the earth. And he was like, "Absolutely, be you know, because my manager, you know, he was also uh, wildlife Absolutely management. Snake. Oh my god, shut up! Stop talking, dude. I'm trying to tell a story. <laughs> god, you never let me finish. <laughs> Sorry, snake. <laughs> shut up. Uh, but you know, so being the, the wildlife management, uh, guy that he was as well, you know, he automatically was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I would absolutely love that, you know, because he didn't want them all to die, but he understood the fact that our dogs needed to not die as well, because, you know, we had, we had dogs worth thousands of dollars for their you know their hunting oh, yeah. their hunting they're abilities you know crazy, Those, they're expensive yeah dude good quail and duck dogs you know that's yeah. that's not a cheap thing so you know they were very important to the plantation you know so so that's something that i started doing you know i can't tell you how many cane breaks i removed off the property a couple cottonmouths copperheads um but you know that all that all changed when I went to Texas and got hit by a Western Diamondback. You know, once I once I went through that and came back, I kind of was more hands off with the. Uh, he has flashbacks when he hears mine. Yeah, dude. Anytime I hear Justin, the hair uh, on the back of his neck stands up. He's all sweaty. <laughs> you joke about it, but every every time I hear that rattle, man, like I get a little bit of anxiety. You know, <laughs> I know how that is. I got the intersection that I go through every day is right next to my house. It's the intersection I got in a wreck and lost part of my leg oh. in, and I get all kinds of fucking anxiety over that. Yeah, man. It, it me out. It's weird how that works for people. Yeah, no, for yeah, I sure. Mean, I, I mean, I don't know. The, the, the hots are really interesting. And, and if, if, if I wasn't married and I, and my wife wouldn't kill me if I, if I brought hots in, my my species that I'd really really like would be uh, the waggler eye man. Those waggler's oh, vipers, oh yeah, super dope man. I would. I've heard totally those are really tough them. though. I've heard if you don't keep those like spot on, you have nothing but problems with them. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know anything about them other than what they look like, and I would do the research and do my due diligence. I know that if if that ever w- was to come for, to yeah, fruition, that's why you it, don't it's definitely not. <laughs> you don't see too many of them available just because they're. Almost all of them are imported, and yeah. they just they, they don't do well. Roll. Yeah, that sucks. They're cool though. Those fem the 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 sexual dimorphism yeah. between the male and the female is insane. It's yeah. it, it's crazy. 
females look pretty sweet. I mean, the males are cool in their own right, you know, but the females just they they don't even, they look like an alien. It doesn't no. even look like something that should be on this planet. I gotta say, if I if I could if I was gonna keep hots and I was just gonna go all out with it, I think my uh, my go to species would be the uh, Mangshan vipers. Oh well, yeah, those, those are cool. Too. Those things are <laughs> so freaking cool, man. Yeah, they're they're cool. No, I don't think there's anti venom for those. I'm pretty sure yeah. from what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, one thing that me and Justin kind of preach, you know, is if you know, especially Justin, since he keeps you know a couple hots is. You know, if you're going to do it, I, we really feel like the, the wisest thing to do is to um, keep, you know, at least species within the U.S. If you're a U.S. keeper, you know, yeah. because that's definitely, you know, especially, you know, with your vipers and stuff, you know, they have um, they have crow fab and that basically covers most pit vipers within the U.S. So, you know, you can be treated properly. And if you're going to go out and keep you know you know african species or you know whatever it may be if you keep you know uh gaboon vipers anything like that is you know keep your keep anti-venom with you you know spend the money and do well even that and like on like the super expensive stuff like the mangshans and stuff even you know if they had anti-venom it's like you're gonna spend that much on the snake why not just go the extra mile and get everything else for it if you had with the same thing with like the the people that buy this crazy expensive snake and throw it in a like five dollar setup I yeah, mean, it's yeah. Penalty, you know it's, it's, it's like you're you're gonna spend a thousand dollars on the animal but you're gonna put a hundred bucks into it set up it's like man yeah. come on like if, if you have the money to drop on the animal you should have the money to drop a 20 on gallon enclosure. off craigslist to work for this emerald perfectly <laughs> <laughs> Just spray it down, scary. spray it down, and give it some PVC pipe, and it'll work, right? Yep. All right. I used all my budget on the uh, on the animal, and then it's like I have fifteen dollars to to find something on Craigslist to make it work. Jesus. That's funny. Uh, so I guess what uh what what are, what kind of projects? What are you guys looking forward to this breeding season? What 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 kind of things you guys got stewing? Any kind of you got? Do you guys have anything that's going gonna go this season? Or well. For me personally, I'm, I, as I said before, I, and as anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I'm huge in the popping carpets. Yeah. Um, that's really my main thing right now. So this season, um, I'm doing two uh, wild type pop one pairings. Um, one is going to be, you know, the two, the two wild types I'm very excited about. Um, one is going to be shooting for some darker animals with some stripes. Um, I've got one, my female is very, very dark. She's very, she has a lot of blacks. Um, and she has, I'd say about 50% of her is striped. And then I've got a farmed male, that has a lot of purpling going on and he has almost a full stripe going down his back so they're going to be going together this year um and i'm really excited about that pairing and then i have a pair that I actually purchased from ryan dumas um they they come from really good background pop wins that i'm i'm really excited about pairing those together and uh, seeing what comes out of that and then I'm actually doing another pair um, to try and shoot for some uh, 75% IJ Jags. I've got a big male that I'm going to pair to my biggest female and uh, see if I can't get anything out of that. 
So those are that's my three pairings this season. I was thinking about going a little deeper and getting some more, but you know, with my new uh, living situation, I don't want to overload myself with babies. So that's one thing I kind of I kind of want to. I try to condone with people is like, don't breed if you're not going to be, know prepared. your limits. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, that... I agree with that a hundred percent. I actually took this last season off with my bread lie because I've, I've still got a couple kicking around, you know, not at anything crazy. They'll probably be gone by the time the new, new ones hatch. But plus I want to give my female, a, 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 a season off my main female, my hair sign female. Because uh, she maternally incubated, so I've done both the uh, artificial and maternal with her eggs, and I'll say I'm a huge fan of maternal incubation. If you can do it, I think that it's the way to go. Honestly, the babies just come out so much more robust. It's it's pretty insane. It's crazy that we can't like replicate that. Like there's some sort of science going on under the coils that we just can't nail yeah. down. You know that's it's. It's crazy. You can't you can't replicate Mother Nature, man. You know that that's one thing I say is you know even though I've never seriously bred before, you know that's that's one thing that I I would really say is the best tactic. You know, just coming from an outside you know stand standpoint is you know everybody's everybody who's done maternal incubation and artificial incubation is the people who do maternal is they come out more robust. They're bigger. They have better food response. You know, everything is positive. The only, the literally the only negative out of maternal incubation is people say, oh, you know, it's harder to turn the female around to breed the next season. Well, it's like, it really, that's just, to me, like, that's just selfish. Snakes or are you wanting to produce a quality product? Right. Like, exactly. That's something that I have a problem with. Like, Absolutely. That whole one to, cur- like, like I'm not doing so that that like I told you that female that Harris line female I I bred two clutches of the Harris to the Afors line male I'm not doing that again I've done it twice I know what the result I know what it looks like I've got animals that I'm holding back from it it's time to do something different right I'm not gonna just turn her around and put him to her again just to crank out and make more babies like it's I don't know that I don't like that mentality uh uh you know that's not to say that like. You can't wholesale stuff and all that. I I, I think that that definitely has a place, but um, I think to do it at the female's detriment is a little ridiculous. Yeah, to opinion. be more strategic about it is smart, and yeah. I think better yeah. better for the hobby and kind of species yeah. as a whole. Yeah, yeah it's, it's I it bugs me when people are like, yeah, I don't want to maternally incubate because um, because it's going to take longer for my female to bounce back. Personally, like it, it again, you know. I, along the lines of the whole feeding thing we were talking about earlier, you know, a female in the wild isn't going to get bred year after year after year after year consecutively, you yep, know, absolutely it's correct. They're, they're, that, I, absolutely correct. Yeah. They're, they're going to get bred one season. They're going to maternally incubate their clutch and then they might get bred a, a, two years later, three two, years later, two, three years later. I, I would say in the wild, if my, if I guess I would say two years. Yeah, yeah exactly. I There's, I would highly, highly doubt that they get bred two years in a row. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, being do, doing the maternal incubation route Have and you all ever that. Seen a female come off of eggs after maternally incubating, it looked like 
death. Exactly. It, you know? it doesn't look good. So, it's you know, good. it's and again, but that's that's what's natural to them. That's what's yeah. that's what yeah. how that's how it works. That's how they're made. And you know, one thing I always say, you know, as far as incubation is, you know, mama knows best. They know that that's what they're they were made to do. They, you know, that's what they know. That's what that's how they that's I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. But they know they know what to do. They know what's best it's for their babies. You know that's they are hardwired into them. Exactly. Yeah. You know that genuine they, strain in your eyes. And yeah, dude. I'm trying to like. This is something that I'm like really like. I'm really passionate about this subject. You know, like I plan on doing maternal incubation. You for, should. I think it's one. It's it's the to me. It's been the most rewarding thing that I've done as a keeper. Right. I, it's fantastic. I, and it doesn't take much, man. Like. I, so I've got the, I've got a big enclosure that's like three foot deep by three foot tall by four foot wide. And it's the one that I use whenever I'm doing, like I put whatever pairing in there that I, that I'm most excited about. Cause I have really good success in this cage. And so I'll winter my animals in, in my garage and I'll drop them down to 50 from, from December 1st all the way to February. And they're in my garage. They get like a seven hour, heat window where it gets up to about 88 degrees and then it goes back down to 50 and then come February I move them back into my snake room and I put them in this enclosure and like people go all crazy with these nest box I mean I guess it's whatever works for you but I just left all the regular hides in there I, it's all fresh cypress mulch and all that and as far as humidity all I did was I hosed it down and then I let her do the mom thing like I, I didn't get too crazy and it was just so much fun to watch her do her thing where she would like drape herself in her water bowl and then go wrap the eggs and go up on the heat panel and sit there for an hour and a half and then go back down and wrap the eggs and I, it, it, that's my favorite part of this hobby is observing the animals you know and I, I understand like artificial incubation and and why it's necessary and I'm not saying that when my pop one python lays eggs, those things are going in the incubator for sure. But because uh, uh, yeah, it, it it just seeing that is it is so. If you haven't done it, you should do it. It's so awesome, man. Because I is, have my two chondros so together, cool. and I've kind of tossed around the idea of if and when I ever get eggs, should I let her do it or should I do the artificial thing and. Mm -hmm. It's like I am genuinely curious to see the maternal incubation because I, you know, I I agree with Jacob about that. But at the same time, I do worry about health-wise. You know, her. You know, not that I'm that I would be pairing her up no, the yeah, next year, but making sure that making sure that she comes back and stuff and yeah, yeah, her health. Valid. I and I get that. I, <laughs> I totally get that. But I feel like in captivity, you're it's it's even more safe to do that than it would be in the wild. Like yeah, if you absolutely. think about the elements that they're exposed to in the wild, it's so much less controlled, you know? Mm -hmm. So in captivity, it's going to be let, I mean, it's still a lot of stress and it's a lot of work. I'm not denoting that at all, but, right. but it's less work than it would be in the wild. And they're programmed to do that anyway. You I know, would be so, curious to see I what this, what the mortality rate for, for 
wild females, females who do that. Yeah. Because at, yeah. at the same time, you know, you got to think about the the vulnerability of that. I'd female, imagine it's a pretty good know. percentage. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she's sitting on eggs. She's basically a sitting duck for predators. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. so well, even like weather, like flooding, yeah, any of that exactly. Stuff. You know, there's so many factors. Um, but as far as like um, the artificial incubation side of things, you know, like you said, there's definitely a place for it. And I think a big thing is like, you know, if, if you are breeding, you are planning on getting, getting eggs or, you know, whatever you, you, even if you plan on doing maternal incubation, say you're doing one pairing, you're like, okay, I'm going to maternally incubate this clutch. You still should have an artificial incubator on hand because, you know, especially if you have like, say you have a virgin female, you know, this is her first season going, she gives you eggs. There's a very good chance, you know, (laughs) she could, she could ditch her clutch, you know? So if you go into this saying like, okay, I'm going to maternally incubate these guys and she lays her eggs and she's like, nah, screw that. I don't want to lay on these things. And she just leaves them. You definitely don't go into that, into a maternal incubation without having plan b and exactly. that's just it, it, you, and i you think have anybody that. a serious keeper knows that i mean i i, I don't know I, I feel like most people are like okay i've got my incubator but i'm gonna maternally incubate you know i, I, I there's been plenty of podcasts and different di- or different podcasts that have had like people talk about that issue and like hey don't do what i did you know like don't <laughs> Don't go into this thinking the mom's going to do her job because she doesn't always do her job. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it sounds kind of shitty, but it's like there there can be bad mothers. Like sometimes there are bad moms when it comes to snakes and you know, it it, it absolutely happens, you know. They just it's, don't care. <laughs> yeah, I you did, know, and I did what I was supposed to do. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Y'all good, you know, but yeah. uh I mean that. I mean that. I I don't know. I I I honestly think though, like if you haven't done it, you should. As long as you have everything in place in case it doesn't work out, you should definitely do it because it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah, for sure. When you sit and you and it's like it's you've got your like documented hatch day or what it's or like estimated hatch day, and you open you pop that hide and you look in there and there's little heads poking out and the mom's (laughs) in there. That's cool, man. That's a really. That's that's a really cool deal. Yeah, I this season, you know, I at least want to try to do one uh, maternal incubation. Um, I've my uh, the IJ Jag I'm putting to my big girl. She's she's massive for a pop one carpet, so I think I'm gonna let her try and maternally incubate. The other two are li- a little on the small side, so I haven't quite decided yet. But I- I'm definitely you gonna got some try. time. Yeah, you know. Uh, well, I don't have a lot of time. You know, winter's coming up soon. You know, I'm gonna feed the rest of October. Uh, give them November off of food and start cooling in December. So. I've got to kind of start deciding what's going to be what, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely, I definitely at least want to do one maternal incubation. Um, and you know, who knows, I might do all three depending on how they wrap their clutches. And I mean, you know, if the mom's doing what she's supposed to, why not? Yeah, you exactly. Know? You know, again, you know, I'm all about, you know, trying to keep things natural and trying to keep things as wild type as possible, you know? So if, you know, I can see, tell you like from, from have so I, I did the same pairing twice, and the first time I did artificial, second time I did maternal, and the difference between the clutches were this. My artificial incubated uh, uh, neonates were 
hyper aggressive like insane and i don't incubate at high t- i incubate at 87 degrees mm-hmm. so it's not like i'm incubating at 89 90 degrees you know you hear about be- uh, neonates being aggressive the higher higher uh, temperature they're incubated at mm-hmm. and i mean they ate they all ate really relatively quickly but it seemed like they couldn't like I don't know the 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 food to growth ratio just wasn't there. Like they weren't putting that. F- it was just all wasted for some. They didn't grow as quick. And then the the maternally incubated stuff, it would. It didn't eat for like a month, but when they come out, they're so full of yolk. Mm-hmm. They're I mean their gut is like distended and like they they've they just they they've got plenty of nutrients to last them for a while. And you wait for that first shed, and and so that's like a week, week and a half in, and then you, you go and uh, offer food about a week or so after that, and by that time they're they're really hungry, you know. Right. And so I had, I think, so that my maternal uh, clutch was, I believe, twenty one animals, and out of those twenty one, nineteen ate off the first try, frozen thawed. So, nice. I mean. I, I think it's just more beneficial. I, yeah. I really do, and it allows them that time to kind of get hungry. You know, you gotta mm-hmm. allow them that time to, okay, I, I, I'm I'm getting there. You know, and and that yolk they put to growth and they shed out and they look good and I don't know. I just think it's a definitely all around a more beneficial deal. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's a that's definitely an, an experience. I feel like every breeder should should at least try. You know. Yeah, but uh, we're at an hour and a half yeah. plus, so we're about at our mark now, man. Right on. Uh, uh, well, we really appreciate you coming on, Austin. Uh, this has been a great episode. I had a lot of good conversation. I've uh, I've really enjoyed this this episode personally. Uh, I know when I when you followed me on Instagram the other week, I actually got pretty excited. I was like, man, I've been following this dude for a while. He finally followed me back. That's cool. <laughs> I suck at Instagram, man. I just, the, I, the thing is, is, uh, if, if I know, like I, I get tired of Facebook. So my Instagram, I like, right. I really gotta know, like, okay. I, I, so I'd been listening to y'all's podcast. Like, Oh shit, he's been following me for a while. I'm going to follow him. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I I don't like seeing a bunch of craziness on my Instagram because it's kind of like the place I go to, to get away just from the bullshit. I don't need to see any bullshit. Yep. Yeah. And so like I I'm a little selective about it, and it's not the personal or anything like that. Right. Right. Just, it just that's that's kind of how I run my Instagram. Right. It's strictly business and strictly reptile stuff. So. Well, that's the um, nice thing is all you follow is reptile stuff, yeah, so that's, that's all you see. That's how it should yeah, be, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, if I see political crap and everything else, I unfollow it. I, I ain't about yeah, that. No. Yeah. So, uh, uh, what? Uh, do you guys have any any closing questions or anything? What's your top five pro beard tips. Pro beard pro tips. Beard tips? <laughs> um, Top, I'll give you a good pro beard tip. Uh, <laughs> let it grow until it looks scraggly, and then cra- cut. Use scissors and cut that scraggly stuff off till it's full, and it'll just grow in thicker and thicker and thicker every time. That's the way you got to do it. There you go, brats. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't grow facial hair. You got hair the Joe Dirt shit, thing going so, on. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, my my girlfriend honestly Joe hates. Tanks? My girlfriend hates facial hair, so she tries. My girlfriend will leave me if I shave mine. Yeah. Well, I'm bald, I, so I have to have some kind of hair on my head. So. 
Yeah, dude. Uh, All right, cool. Where man. can people find you? Yeah, tell us where we're uh, you. I'm uh, at Ragebeard Reptiles on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I don't have a website. I'm contemplating put one up, but it feels like it's kind of, I don't know, it's counterintuitive. I, I may get one. I, it just seems like no one goes to websites anymore. Yeah, if you're um, on social media, you're already where the party's at is my yeah. policy on that. Uh, if, feel free to message me if you have any questions. I know I said that I was uh, – I get tired of, <laughs> of uh, I'm kind of cranky, but I'm really not that cranky. Just like, if you have a question, have a little bit of knowledge on what you're asking me before you ask me. Yeah, and yeah. We'll fill in the blanks for you. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a complete asshole. I just, I feel like you need to do a little bit of research. Uh, and then uh, as far as like availability, I think I've got like three or four pairs of bread lie uh, from my 2017 clutch. Uh, I'm about to be posting pictures of them out. So if you guys want to get anybody wants to get into some uh, a fours Harris line outcross bread line, I'm the only person that's done that cross. So uh, and they're reasonably priced and not anything crazy. And then uh, past that point, I mean, I'm always cool to talk snakes and whatever. If you just want to shoot the shit, you know, uh, cool. So I can I can talk snakes for hours. It's a trait <laughs> that my wife hates. So. <laughs> Definitely, man. Well, we really appreciate appreciate you coming on, Austin. Uh, it's been a it's been a great show, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch and uh, get up with you again soon. Well, I appreciate y'all having me on. It's been a good time, and uh, you take care. All Thanks, right? man. For sure, man. You too. Catch you later. All right, bye. Bye. All right. Well, another episode in the books. Episode fifteen of the Herpeticulture Podcast. Is it fifteen? Was it 15? It is it 15. 15. Yeah, it was 15. They're all, <laughs> they're all melding together. You know, it's, it's kind of keep track. It's, it's kind of funny. It's like I think about it. It's like you know, wow, we're 15 episodes in, but at the same time, like that's that's not that many. I feel like we've been doing this podcast for a really long time, but we've only done 15 episodes. That's that's really not that many in retrospect. I'm listening to Doug in his room screaming at his Xbox and TV. So we'll stop listening to Doug and start. Now Start I'm trying to figure out what my phone is doing. Dude, worry about your phone when we end this. Hey. <laughs> but Watch yourself, bro. Tell people where they can find you while I figure this out. Yeah, this concludes another episode of the Herpeticulture Podcast. As always, uh, I am Jacob Bratz with JLB Morelia. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at JLB Morelia. And feel free to add my personal page of Jacob Lee Bratz. Yes, I'm one of the very few people with my middle name still in my Facebook. So, get much more Southern than that. Hey, man. That's how that's how we do it down here in Buford, South you're Carolina. From, you're a cheesehead. I am a cheesehead, but I was raised here. Yeah, I'm born in Wisconsin, raised here. I honestly, I'll call Wisconsin home all day, but you know, I was raised here. But Wisconsin, actually, Wisconsin, Wisconsin is still the greatest state in the mm, whole that's world. It's up for debate. It's not up for a debate. It's a fact. I don't care what anybody else has to say. Wisconsin. Nobody state likes the world. snow. Who doesn't like snow? Anybody who likes snow snow on a consistent basis where you're, like, stuck at home for, like, three weeks, (laughs) shining style, is sick. Dude, 
Wisconsin's amazing. If you haven't, if you haven't been to Wisconsin, you need. To go. I haven't been. It's that's freaking, pretty low on the states that I'm actually freaking gonna gorgeous. go to. You know, everybody says that until they go, and they're like, "Wow, I wish I had snow-covered cornfields." Okay, cool. don't go in the winter if you're a little baby about the cold. Jeez, it was negative like thirty when I was born. Another reason why you. I don't was go. born in January in freaking Manitowoc, Wisconsin. It was like thirty below zero. What the hell are you? It was awesome. Cold weather is in my blood. I don't know where I would go, actually. If I were, if people were like, you can go to a state. Been to Connecticut. Been to Hawaii. <laughs> been to Florida. I'd probably put Oregon. I think Oregon would be up there. What about, like, California and stuff? Would you go to Maybe, California? like, North Cali. North Cali? I'd just go somewhere Maybe. where I could see some of my buddies out there in California. <clears throat> I'd go visit Riley. I feel like Montana would be kind of nice, too. Dude, that's one place I want to go. The other one.